Listening to The Edge, everything bass fishing, coming to you worldwide from MegaWare Keelguard Studios. Yo, 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 Aaron, what's up? Good to be back on the mic here with another episode of Bass Edge Radio. It is Kurt, and of course, we are sitting in the MegaWare Keelguard Studios, proud partners and presenting sponsors of Bass Edge Radio since day one. Be sure to check out all of their products at keelguard.com. Kurt. Do you think Stetson's probably, uh, from our last episode, you know, we had Stetson Blaylock on, of course, who I'm referencing, but you think he's doing a little classic prep as we speak? Well, as we spoke to him, yes, Aaron, I think uh, his goosebumps are probably a little bit higher now. They're peaking, right? So, uh, man, he was fired up about this event, and uh, it is coming. We are about uh, seven days away exactly from the kickoff of the 50th anniversary, I believe it is, Aaron, 50 years of the Bassmaster classic that's going to be held uh, actually it's six days away march 6th through the 8th in birmingham alabama going to be on lake gunnersville bass edge nation you're going to want to follow along this is going to be a, a fun event to check out and definitely go on back and listen to stetson's episode i think aaron you know he he talks about the anticipation for the event and, and preparation and, and there's going to be a new Bassmaster classic champion and there's a lot of guys right now with jitters thinking about what it's going to be like if they get to hold that trophy over their head. Oh, for sure. And, you know, Kurt, we're kind of at that time of year where there's changing weather patterns, right? There's fronts that come in and uh, hopefully one of the things that they don't have to experience are those weather delays because I know as an angler just on some of the smaller tournaments and that that I compete in, that can mess with your mental aspect a little bit. Yeah, weather delays. You know, that's a great point, Aaron. We've had a lot of weather delays as of late. Uh, the kickoff from the Bass Elite Series down at the St. John's in Florida, first two days were canceled then you know i just came off an event at the harris chain with the flw pro circuit we had a day canceled aaron it seems like there might be a change over the last four to five years on kind of the process of what is feasible for tournament competition to be fishing in weather wise yes i definitely think over i'll even go back a little bit further i think certainly kurt you know this given that we're the same age they used to turn us out regardless right (laughs) i mean it didn't matter if it was lightning and uh, or whatever That's but right. now you know safety for the athletes for the anglers has really made the forefront and i think that's a very wise decision because uh you know you want to make sure that people are safe while they're out doing what they love yeah you know i would agree with that i think there needs to be some kind of uh regulation like if there's small craft advisory or a heavy wind advisory or something of that nature that needs to be the carrot that tells the tournament director that hey it's over the top we're not going today um, yes. it's hard to put them into position to just make a arbitrary decision based on what they feel the conditions are the interesting thing about that is you know in having some conversations with some other anglers is and what happened in the days that made a good bass angler that you could adjust to conditions you know we just weren't fishing on better than expected weather days and or or nice weather days and, and i'm not saying all the days are nice obviously if we go out in some adverse conditions but man when you have a 30 or 20 mile an hour wind and you have to bail on plan a and and most of the field probably has to bail on it you know what happened to the uh, strategic aspect of that where a guy can go out and make some adjustments 
and fish a pattern or a different area of the lake and overcome those conditions and come out on top. I miss yeah. that a little bit. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, I do not envy tournament director's position. And for those that don't really fish tournaments and aren't in that, they still, anglers who are launching some boat ramps still have to make that decision. Okay, am I going to leave this area yeah. right now given the conditions that I'm faced with weather-wise? But I do not envy the tournament director's position because yeah. reality is, Kurt, they're in a lose-lose situation. They are not going to make everybody happy with whatever that decision is. But the reality is safety is non-negotiable because you're if you're dealing on a 40 or 50,000 acre lake, you could have three different microclimates oh, yeah. of weather going on at the same time. But I do like the fact of what you bring up. As anglers, we are faced with the conditions. Part of that, though, Kurt, too, is also the mental aspect. And I look forward to hopefully in future episodes, we can get uh, Dr. Jay McNamara on to comment a little bit about that as we move forward. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Well, lots of things to talk about, lots of things to discuss, and, and just, you know, creating some good conversation here, hopefully amongst uh, all of Bass Edge Nation and see what they think. You know, be sure to send us some feedback, support at BassEdge.com. Always love to hear. We've been getting a lot of great feedback over the internet, Aaron, and it's it's been uh, good to interact with a lot of the uh, podcast listeners. So it's been a lot of fun. But I tell you what, we've got a great show ahead. We're going to move into the tackle tip from ProtectTheHarvest.com. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Bass Edge Radio. This episode's ProtectTheHarvest.com Tackle Tip with BASS Elite Series Pro, Stetson Blaylock. Hey, for me, one of the best things to do this time of year is get up on the bank and throw a wacky rig. Uh, It sounds very simple, and it is, but it is a fish-catching little bait. A couple of the tricks that I do is I'll have a couple rigged up at the same time. I throw them on a spinning rod, a 610 medium light. I put braided line on there. 10 to 15 pound test and tie eight pound fluorocarbon leader on that. I do that so I can feel what my bait's doing. I do that so I can use lighter line on the leader and I feel like you get more bites. But I have two rigs. One I'm going to have weighted and one I'm going to have unweighted. I like to take a yum dinger, five inch, put an O-ring on that bait, hook it right through the O-ring, going down the bank. I'm looking for places that I think fish are going to be sitting in pre-spawn and during the spawn time. I'm going to throw the weightless one. If I see fish cruising down the bank, even if they're just swimming, you know, just starting to get up there and get active and move around, I'm going to be throwing that one at those because I think those fish like to come up to the bait. If I'm actually fishing it down a steeper bank, a bluffy style bank, throwing it on the ends of trees or ends of boat docks or skipping it under deep docks, anything like that, I'm going to go to the one that's weighted. The way that I weight it is I take a 132nd tungsten spike, stick it in the end of the worm, and that just helps with the fall rate, helps that bait get down there a lot quicker. And uh, that is one thing that in the springtime of the year will get you bites day in and day out every time you're on the water. Absolutely fantastic tips, Stetson. Thanks so much. That's going to help us all catch more fish. Brought to you by protecttheharvest.com. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. 
Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Live Well, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Well, it appears, Kurt, uh, the anglers kind of stepped up fans uh you know spoke some 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 of their thoughts and now we have a two pound minimum required i believe if that's correct for the mlf uh tournament series bass pro tour yeah it, i think actually they're going to do some variable uh minimums throughout the year but the, certainly these first two events aaron very interesting you had the lake ufala event uh they just finished through the lake okeechobee event totally different atmosphere on the MLF in 2020 compared to what it was in 2019. So um, the two-pound minimums played a big role. You see a guy like uh, Jordan Lee, right? I mean, no bass in round one of his group and then catches eight bass for 30 and change in round two at Okeechobee and wins the round goes directly to the championship. I mean, you would have never seen that with the one pound minimum because there would have been such an add up in, in smaller bass and, and probably been, you know, very difficult to catch the leaders and, and probably would have changed a focus on an angler, but, but not now. So we're seeing, as you mentioned, Aaron, fans talked about uh, you, you saw it all over social media, you know, wanting, you know, bigger fish, you know, to kind of minimize the the dink, the dink fest, you know, per se. Right. That was that many people were saying MLF more little fish. You know, that was, yeah. that was one of the running jokes, but uh, not that way now. Man, they are catching big, giant fish and they are catching them. You know, you follow. They caught a lot of big ones and, and it's early spring. Okeechobee seems like it's been a little tougher down there. They had some tough weather conditions, big cold fronts. And uh, anyway, long story short is, though, I see the uh, pathway now for MLF to uh, continue to grow and grow in a way and, and bring in uh, some anglers that maybe were a little skeptical based on their past uh, platform that, that with some of these new platforms in place really showing out some bigger fish, which seems like what fans are really interested in. Yes, and you know, I kind of compare it to the XFL, right? I'm I'm from Missouri, so we actually have a the St. Louis Battlehawks, right? They do the kickoff a little differently. There's a running play clock, so um, you know, a, a lot of banter on that right now. If that's even going to make it, how it's going to work. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think it was the right decision. It definitely seems more exciting, and and uh, we always use at least. Kurt, I know you and I do kind of think of a two pounder as a keeper anyway. That's that's a keeper yeah. fish. Uh, that's what we're conditioned to. So it should be exciting moving forward. I do want to quickly transition, Kurt. I want to pick your brain on something. And, and you know, I hate to even throw this out there, but kind of the fake news thing. And I'm not trying to, to you know, 
be uh, go off on a tangent, but specifically in the sport. Are we talking politics here? Eric? No, 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 no. Trust me, <laughs> we are not talking politics. But uh, you know, it's editorial versus advertorial, and in the sport of fishing, right? Bass Edge has always tried to. That's why we don't really align with a particular bait company, even when we did the filming, or right now when we're doing the audio. So that we could always provide a variety of actually what works in certain conditions and not feel that uh, we have a biased opinion because we are being paid by a manufacturer. What's kind of your thoughts on that? Because you personally, you have sponsors, right, that you have to represent. Yeah. How do you handle that? Well, it, it makes it tough. You know, there, there are some – and it makes it good in some circumstances. You know, if, if there's a website or a magazine or a platform of media that, that you align with – um, and, and they are more advertorial focused, as you mentioned. You know, they're they're trying to make money through their media platform, so they're selling space or or maybe articles to a particular uh, you know company. Then you know it, it works out good from an angler standpoint if you line up. If you don't, it doesn't work out good at all. But but what's interesting is exactly what you say. You know, the the foundation of Bass Edge and and what we've done here uh, and, and what you have created all. Familiarian is is a place where you can talk and understand and learn and be focused on what works, not what you want to tell people that works. <laughs> you know, based on based on residual income. So, you know, of course, anglers do that. You know that that's part of their deal. But they align with companies that that, that they feel confident with that that those lures do work and catch fish. But where this all goes back to, Aaron, is um, I, I was having a conversation with uh, Mark Lassane at Bass Angler Magazine. And um, th this is the same kind of platform that you're discussing. Yeah, and you know, Mark, I think that's why we, we've always tried to align with those type of, of people that share the vision. And I think Mark has probably done it better than anyone, you know, yeah. with, with how they construct the magazine, right? The content is very concise, it's very direct, it, it goes deep, and, and it's not a lot of fluff, it just gets to the heart of the matter. And uh, it doesn't matter. He, he's not blocking content based upon if somebody's yeah. paying him money or not. Yeah, it, like you mentioned, it's more it's it's less adver advertising and more just you know right to the nuts and bolts, short, concise, to the point, uh, allowing the readers to learn in in just a matter of minutes new techniques or methods that that help them you know catch more fish, which which we love here at Bass Edge. But I got to tell you what you know. Check, check out – I want Bass Edge Nation to check out this magazine, BassAnglerMagazine.com. Uh, you can go to the website, hit the subscribe tab. Mark has provided us a code, RADIO, capital R-A-D-I-O, to get 25% off what I consider is this great independent magazine. Um, and the spring episode is loaded. You got Brad Knight talking about uh, locating giant bass um, with big – big swim baits. I mean, who doesn't love that? They're talking about how to, how to fish, you know, community holes, community holes are community for a reason. They got a lot of bass, but there are some tips and tricks that they talk about in Bass Angler Magazine about how to get some bites and really maximize some of those things. But man, all kinds of things, you know, getting more speed out of your boat, how to fish a vibrating jig. I mean, dude, it's on and on. So important for us to just let our listeners know a outlet that we feel like is, you know, kind of very similar to what we try to provide them. And uh, check out BassAnglerMagazine.com. I think it's going to be a great hit. If you don't know about it, you're going to find something new and special. If you already know about it, which I know some of our listeners do, they're like, yeah, they're right. 
they know what they're talking about. <laughs> well, at least you do, Kurt. Somebody, somebody <laughs> does on this on this conversation. So we'll see how much we know as I I get ready for uh, Lake Martin coming up in late in uh, late March. It's going to be a, a fun next event. Uh, it's going to be very diverse: spotted bass, largemouth bass, weather conditions, early spring. It's going to be spawn, pre-spawn. Gonna be a lot of variables coming up, and uh, you know these are the these are the kind of things we love to talk about here on Bass Edge. So if I'm listening appropriately and taking proper notes, I should do well. That's right, and uh, we're going to take it a step further. I think we're doing a deep dive into some technical stuff that's coming up with a returning guest, longtime friend of Bass Edge. Yes, we're gonna have a roundtable discussion on what fishing hook is best for different techniques or at least an idea of we think is best so stay tuned we're going to dive into what fishing hook you need to use for what technique in just a moment for bass edge radio hang tight hi i'm professional angler stetson blaylock this is Bassmaster elite series pro bill lowen this is flw ray Evac champion brian schmidt this is professional angler joe sancho this is Skeeter Yamaha Pro Dave Mansu. Stay right here with Aaron and Kurt on Bass Edge Radio. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard Keel Protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also from MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Aaron, I am stoked about this conversation that we are going to have. Basically, a roundtable discussion in this episode with the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. To join you and I today, we dive into hook selection with two-time FLW Tour champion Bradley Hallman. Looking forward to tackling this subject for the listeners. Brad, welcome back. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Hey, guys. How are y'all doing? Glad to be back. Well, we're doing great, Brad. Excited to have you on here, but we've uh, tapped you with the challenge of uh, diving into what I would consider a complicated topic because if you ask 10 anglers likely you're going to get uh, seven to nine different opinions as uh, we are not the final authority by any means but when picking I guess proper hooks for different applications I'd say we will certainly uncover various thought processes of what works best what hasn't worked and explain why kind of on both ends. So just to set a foundation, you know, what are your most important variables in selecting hooks for specific techniques? And and certainly I realize that, you know, there's various factors that come into play, whether it's rod, action, line size, but also there's a lot of acronyms that probably a lot of us aren't really familiar with. Aaron, I think just the things that pertain to the hook itself and not getting into the line, uh, the depth that you're fishing, how shallow, how deep you're fishing, those things are going to come into play with what style of hook that you're using along with the thickness and the diameter of the hook, which is going to be really critical. Um, the deeper we're fishing generally are lighter wire hooks. The shallower we're fishing just generally, in general, go to thicker hooks, uh, bigger lines, uh, smaller line diameters being deeper with lighter action rods. 
some of the things that I'm really looking forward to are, are, are the diameter of the hook and, you know, the, the actual flex of the hook is very critical to all of us at this point. You know, hooks have come a long ways in the last 25, 30 years. The steel's gotten a lot better, and uh, we've, we've learned with time that hooks that flex, my personal opinion, hooks that flex have a lot of flex to them are hooks that I try to stay away from in any diameter, whether we're talking about big, heavy hooks for shallow fishing or if we're talking about even thin diameter hooks fishing deep. Great stuff right there, Brad. You know, you talked about shallow, deep. Also, you mentioned line size, you know, and rod action. You know, so many different things that that can play a role in this. Guys, let's start breaking down just so that we can be clear to some viewers of some of our thought process. And they can put this into their own thought process and come out with their answers. But let's start with the tried and true wacky worm technique. Right. Wacky worming uh, can go a lot of different ways. You can have, you know, like you could consider a Nico rig, a wacky style presentation. You could just weightless wacky worming. Right. I mean, that's that's probably one of the most common wacky rig techniques. So, Brad, what are your thoughts on proper hook uses with this style of technique? Like I said, this is a line diameter deal. Um, a lot of times, you know, we're throwing these wacky rigged worms, you know, a, a Senko type bait with an O-ring on it to keep the bait. But the hook is really a critical part of this. And this is a this is a bait actually that we went round and round with for a long time. I mean, years. Like we thought this was the hook. We thought that was the hook. The hook that I'm using personally right now is more of the circle style hook. It's got a big gap to it. It's got a wide gap to it. Um, and I like the ones that have either the wire weed guard or some type of light fiber weed guard where some companies are using like fishing lines. The flexibility of this hook is the critical part that I think that we really just got into in the last 10 years or so where they can make that hook a small diameter hook and it doesn't flex. And, and using that circle, when I say circle, like, like the tip of it's not bent over like a true circle hook that they use, but... It's that shape, and it's, it's more like a small, small shape. Yeah, yeah it's gotcha. a rounded shape hook. I think that's the one that a lot of the guys are using. There's nothing wrong with what we were doing originally, which was, and I think it's a great concept, uh, is the actual just straight shank hook. I mean, you know, it's not a flipping hook. It's a one-aught or a two-aught straight shank hook, and the, we had a lot of success with that early on, and, and I still believe that's a good hook. The only issue that I really ever had with that hook was is that it tends to hang up a lot around yes. cover. I would completely agree. I think the straight shank hook is is a good option as long as you're not in a whole lot of cover. Once you start getting into cover and you start using the O-ring and flipping underneath pole docks and, and, and the kinds of things that you got to bring the lure, specifically an open hook lure, through cover, that having that smaller uh, shaped kind of rounded wacky rig hook comes through cover a lot easier. I do want to mention, and, and this comes off of some experience that, that even I had just last year at Lake Chickamauga, and, you know, we were – skipping you know spinning rods 10 pound test and skipping wacky worms way up underneath docks lower lay clear water then i started using some some wacky rigs up around spawning fish and uh, i was using some heavier line because it was around heavier cover and uh, i think you've got to really look at what specific utilization of the technique that's in front of you to decide you know what gauge wire do you really need if you're using 15 pound test you need a heavier 
gauge wacky hook. If you're using 10 pound test, you need a lighter wire gauge wacky hook. So even from that perspective, Brad, I feel like that, that there is a uh, method to all of the madness and, and that being a big part of it. When you talk about flexibility of the hook, if you could address that real quick and what you mean by that. Well, I, I knew what this podcast was going to be about. You guys want to talk about hooks, and I, I just can't I, I can't think of any style of hook whatsoever that I would prefer it have some flex in. I learned this early on with uh, treble hooks is where I noticed it first. It was very difficult to find a treble hook on the market 20 years ago that didn't flex. And like I say, steels have come a long ways. All the companies are, have improved dramatically. But uh, that was a big reason we were losing a lot of fish. And when I say flex, I don't mean just like straightening the whole thing out, but just a little bend here or there um, can let a fish free, you know, while he's pulling or jumping. I don't like that hook. And it, it also in the hook set, you know, when you get into flipping and stuff like that, um, it can prevent, you know, a hook driving through a fish's uh, top of his of his mouth. And the hard part, um, if the flex, it, it prevents that, that penetration. So zero flex is what we're after. We all are. Uh, the hook companies know it, but it's hard for them to forge the steel. There's a fine line there between no flex and a hook that will break, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's that's good stuff. And Kurt, I know you've done a lot of different type of drop shotting. Let's dive into those hooks. You know, Kurt, what are you seeing kind of in your experience on your home lake of Amistad? Uh, and then Brad, I'd like you to follow up kind of on what you're seeing on, on some of the smallmouth drop shotting. You know, drop shotting, man, it's such a gamut of techniques, right? As far as, uh, you know, are you drop shotting in heavy cover where you need to cover your, your hook point because you're like at Amistad, you know, or drop shotting deep trees, you know, it could be 20, 25 feet and you're in the middle of a bush. You know, you, you definitely, you know, if you nose rig a hook, you're probably going to get hung up more times than you catch a fish, which is no fun. So, so, um, but, but at the same time, if you're out over open water, you know, nose rigging can give the bait a completely different action. So whether it's a small little one or, or excuse me, a one or two you know, kind of hook that you can basically rig weedless. So the, the hook can work through cover, whether it's trees or grass or whatever, you know, drop shotting the edge of vegetation or something like that. I mean, that, that plays a big role. What I'm looking for in that particular hook is a medium to light gauge wire, because I just want to pull into the fish, especially if I'm, I'm fishing deep, you know, it's not a hard hook set. So I'm just pulling into that fish and the, and the lighter gauge wire will be like a pin, right? And it'll be able to just push right into the fish's flesh and I'll get a good hook up. Then when I'm drop shotting deep and, and I need more action or I'm not over a lot of cover that I can actually get more action out of my worm, I'm going to nose hook it. And I'm going to use like a number one or number two, which, you know, pay attention to that one oh and two oh sounds like number one or number two, but those are completely different sizes of the hook. So be sure you understand, you know, what, how, how a size of a hook, you know, calculates on a chart. So uh, a number two being a, a smaller hook, a number one being a slightly larger and then one oh two oh and on up the line. So, um, Anyway, when I'm drop shotting, nose hooking, deep stuff, you know, depending on the size of fish I'm going to catch too, is going to play a role in just how big a gauge of wire that I'm going to need for that technique. And then Brad, what about uh, your perspective on kind of drop shotting? Do you change that uh, when you're targeting smallmouth versus, you know, something to where uh, you, you might be predominantly targeting largemouth? Uh, I'm, I'm on a lot of the same lines as Kurt uh, on this. Smallmouth in, in particular, um, it, it, a lot of it has to do with, like Kurt said, size of fish. 
the size of the bait that I'm using to me has a lot to do with what size hook I'm using. So if I'm using, even though I may be on the Great Lakes, and, and generally this doesn't happen, generally where you're using bigger baits on the Great Lakes, but there's been times up there that we were using smaller baits when like the Gulf and some of that stuff came out. And uh, I don't want to use a, a, a number, a one-aught or a two-aught. A one-aught hook is really a big hook for when we're talking about drop shotting and smallmouth. I'm, I'm going to lean more towards the, the one or maybe even down to the, the number two, you know, with smallmouth. Uh, once again, we're matching line size, broad action, the bait that's on it, and then also the size of the fish, just like Kurt talked about, because some of these places that we go to smallmouth fishing, they're just, you know, like St. Clair's, they're just so big. But for the most part, we're using bigger baits. So the rod's heavier, the line's heavier. I mean, everything changes with that aspect, but but definitely... I'm using the circle hooks for I'm all I'm, I'm generally almost always nose hooking uh, when I'm fishing for smallmouth. So there's no you know I'm not trying to use a round bend turn hookers anything. It's 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 the circle style hook, and I'm nose hooking 99% of the time. I think smallmouth fishing. I can't think of a time that I haven't been. It's more an open open water. I mean I'm, there may be some grass situations with smallmouth, but I'm still. I prefer to use the nose hook action with those with those fish. Is it fair to say that that would hold consistent? Then you know we hear this term power drop shotting, which to me that that kind of signals that hey, I'm moving down the bank quickly, throwing a drop shot into a specific target. Would that hold true for both of you guys in that application as well? I think I probably and power shotting is is I'm, I'm probably going to use you know the the style of hook that I can use to. Texas rigged the worm, basically, um, so that it's not getting hung up in the bushes or whatever I'm, I lay down, whatever I'm power shotting to. I definitely probably am never using an open hook for that. I can't think of a situation that I have. Yeah, I would agree with that. Something more along the lines of a straight shank hook or a round bend, something that's going to hold the the weedless aspect of the of the bait into place. I, I wanted to follow up a little bit um, on on Brad's comment about bait size. Man, Brad, you talk about smallmouth baits, and, and you talked a little bit about you know the old style gulp, and then you know some of the larger baits. Like when you put on a goby imitation bait, right? The head of that thing is so thick. And then you put on like a uh, a rain's bubbling shaker, right? Something that's real small, slim profile. You know, both smallmouth candy. How do you judge how big of a hook you have to change from that smaller, slim, like the one and two, to you know some of those thicker plastics that you're talking about when you get up to those goby style? I would say the main thing that I'm concerned about is definitely when we go down in size of baits, I don't want to drop shot a hook that is so big that it overpowers the plastic that's on the end of it, if that makes sense. And so with the same philosophy going up, you don't want a hook so big it's going to overpower the big ones either, but it needs to have a big enough gap that there is hookup ratio there for, for that plastic to slide and that hook to go through the fish's mouth. Yeah, man, this this follows right into my next process thought was Texas rig casting a worm and um, talking about, you know, meeting the size hook with the size bait. Right. I mean, if you're, you know, slinging out a brush hog, you know, a big, huge, big bait versus slinging out a trick worm, you know, probably going to be different hook sizes. Maybe it's different wire gauge, but certainly you're not going to use a 5.0 for a trick worm and a 5.0 for a brush hog. It's probably going to be something a little bit different. So when you talk about Texas rig casting a worm, what kind of hook are you going to use in this technique? And what are some of the variations that, you know, you could explain to the listeners as far as 
what type of hook you're going to be utilizing in this situation. This is actually a technique that I use quite a bit uh, in Oklahoma in the summertime. I live this local lake that's close to my house. We fish little Wednesday night jackpots out there and take the kids and stuff. But brush pile fishing becomes a big part of it in the summer. And I have a lot of fun with it. Um, so it is a hook and a presentation that I use a lot. Um, we're really big on the 10-inch worm in the summertime. It's uh, probably the, the bait that I've had the most success with through the years uh, with actually fishing just straight up Texas rig. I've changed my style through the years, and I've actually come back to where I started. Um, I, I like the round bend offset style hook. You know, like, like I talked about before with somebody right. the other day about it. I, it's kind of like the old true turn. So, you know, if you're an older guy, you'll understand what that is. If, if not, it's, it's, it's the round bend that goes up, makes the 90-degree angle, and then the 90-degree angle straight back up. Sure. I feel like the hookup ratio with that style hook is, is much better than – than the others it, it doesn't have as big a gap as you know the wide gap hooks uh-huh. um, but I, I do like the hookup ratio and i feel like it stays hooked up really well size wise like if i'm throwing a 10 inch worm I, I i would like to throw the six aught um generally when i'm fishing in brush piles oklahoma is a lot more stained water so i'm usually throwing 20 pound test line and uh, a pretty medium heavy to a heavy action rod so I'm looking for, you know, the HD styles, you know, the heavier, the heavier duty hooks, which have got a, a thicker diameter and um, probably somewhere in the six aught range. You know, um, I'm not a guy that just gets crazy on giant, giant hooks. Um, I can use a five aught for it. I'm OK with that, too. But but probably the six aught on a 10 inch worm. Um, and then as, as we move down in worm size, I don't throw a seven inch worm or some of the smaller ones that we used to years ago. Um, I know they get a lot of bites. I, w- I would still be using the same style hook. I would just go down to a four aught probably. So, you know, you mentioned earlier, Brad, about the HD as your, I'm assuming as the lure size decreases, your your wire gauge and maybe your line decreases too because you're looking for a different presentation, you know, maybe more finesse, trying to coax a bite. They're not just eating great or or, or you're setting something up that, that can help get some bites because obviously brad holman likes to go big <laughs> go big or go home that's 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 why he's a two-time flw tour champion right so so i guess those would be some of the the tra- changes and transitions you would make to some variations of other size hooks in that texas rig application absolutely um it, it definitely would go down uh, i'm trying to think off the top of my head some things i've done but yeah anytime that i'm going down with line size and we start getting down to the 15 pound test line more open water uh yeah, my hook diameter's coming down. It's not going to be the HD. Um, actually, a lot of stuff, even with the big worms, I'm still not using the HD, like uh, Kentucky Lakes and places like that where it's more open water presentations or we're fishing on top of shell beds, we're making long casts. I don't like that big, giant, thick hook, you know. Um, I may still throw it in a 5-aught, but I don't want – because primarily because I'm making such long casts with it and stuff. I, I do like the, the thinner diameter hooks for sure. All right. Right, especially in the casting techniques. I think that's important as well. Brad, man, there's so much to talk about in this conversation. We're going to continue to take a look at fishing hooks, thoughts to taking your hook selection to a new level. But let's power pull down. Quick pause here to pay some bills. Guys, hang tight. Bass Edge Radio will be right back. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Power Pole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, Power Pole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, Power Pole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. 
engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole. Swift. Silent. Secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio presented in part by Mercury Marine returns with professional angler Brad Hallman in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right. Lucas Oil High Performance Marine Products. For oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements, be sure to visit the BassEdge.com store for free shipping on all Lucas products. It works. Brad, let's swing right back into where we left off with the Texas rigging style, taking it to a little different variation. You know, how about the weightless aspect? When we talk Texas rigging, right, we're really talking about, uh, you know, weedless rigging the hook, you know, in a, in a you know, horizontal uh, you know, platform as far as the bait, right? So, so that that's the essential gist of, of what the Texas rig is really all about. Just that weedless presentation, weightless or, or weighted either way, it doesn't matter, but in a weightless aspect, what do you try to change in your hook selection here? Does it still have to do with, you, you talked a little bit earlier about casting the baits, like maybe with a, a fluke or something of that nature, you know, something that you're skittering at the top off the water or, or maybe tossing a weightless stick bait, you know, and, and you really can't use the, maybe the wacky setup because you need it completely uh, weedless. What do you look at in those types of hook selection scenarios? I've got a couple of variations that I use um, with the stick bait type stuff, you know, throwing it weightless. Um, I get into that a lot, even preferably over wacky style. Um, when just because of cover and stuff, if my line size goes up, say I'm throwing it on 15 and maybe even 20. So I, I, I do like the wide gap style hooks at that point. I've used those hooks for a long time and, and I like them. I've had a lot of success with them. I use them. With the fluke is a different story. The, the fluke, for some reason, has been a bait for years that I've always had a hard time with hookup ratios. And, and, Kurt, you know as well as I, fishing for a living, if we get 10 bites in a day, we want every single one of them to get the boat. We need every single one of them in the boat. I, I've gone back to the same hook that I'm using on my 10-inch worms, which is, you know, the round bend offset. I seem to have better success with that on the fluke. It, 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 you know, the fluke is a moving bait, constantly moving uh, you're twitching it and jerking it, and the fish get it at any point. Sometimes you see them get it. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's on the jerk that you realize that they're there, and that's really not my preferable. That's not how I prefer to realize that I've had a strike. That's that's not the time to get it. So, right, right. Um, unfortunately for me, that seems to be what I do. And uh, I've gone back to that hook, and it does seem to be better than using um, the wide gap, which I think is probably the hook that most guys have used for the last. Yeah, I would agree. 15 years. You know, it's funny you say that, Brad, because I've uh, I thought I was in the minority there, specifically to the fluke. And I'll take it a step further concerning your comment with the round bin. I've noticed that same thing myself, but also then kind of diving off into like a Carolina rig, perhaps of throwing a sm- smaller profile bait, maybe like a brush, a baby brush hog or something, a creature style bait. I prefer the the round uh, bin offset. Uh, hook there as well and it just seems like even though that is a weighted bait with that weight being further in front you know they have a lot of leverage to be able to shake their head and and maneuver and it just appears to me to have a better uh you know hookup ratio that they stay on first you get them hooked but then you got to keep them on I would agree with that, Aaron. That once you get them on that that round bent offset, if it's if it's doable, where I find the interesting you know scenario in this topic, and and probably will move into you know a flipping and pitching scenario as well, is 
it's really cover oriented. You know, if you're in a lot of cover for me, you know, the wide gap seems to really slide through that cover easily. Whereas the general pull of, of the hook by the rod and the line and all that stuff wants to expose that round bend offset a little bit. So if you're in a lot of heavy cover, the wide gap can get that bait through that cover real naturally and, and, and not hang up as much. But the round bend offset really exposes the hook point a lot easier. So if you're in open water or an area where you don't have to fight cover as much, then then that's a great way to, to, to utilize that technique as well. And of course, you know, a lot of that depends on the thickness of plastic. So it's it's a bait category as well. So um, a lot of scenarios that, that this kind of changes up and moving into the next one, you know, flipping and pitching one of one of my favorite techniques brad can you start us off in a conversation with this and then aaron i know you love the flipping pitch up in the ozark area as well love to hear your thought process once brad dives in yeah this this is a technique that i'm probably the best known for um i spent a lot of time in my life doing it and, and actually this was a conversation that started a few years back with some guys that I didn't really realize I was doing things a little different than some of the others. And at first I was a little bit taken back or kind of embarrassed about it. Like maybe I was doing something wrong, but the more I thought about it, the more I talked to some guys, I, I really like the system I've got. Part of it is because of part of the country that I'm from is what was what started this. So anytime I'm flipping wood, you know, bushes or trees or laydowns, and that's primarily what I'm fishing. Um, I'm not flipping a straight shank hook uh, like most of the guys are. Um, this started years ago. Um, I started flipping the, the, the wide gap hooks. Uh, Mustad had a flipping hook out years ago that I used. They still make it. And, and I think it started with the tube guys. I mean, I think that's how long this has been going on, but, uh, I preferred that hook at the time because it was the best thing on the market. And we had to have something for a tube. And as different baits started coming out, we went from the tube to the beaver, or the brush hog, and we started flipping other things. I just tended to stay with that same hook. And I'm flipping that on fluorocarbon or back then was mono. So mono or fluorocarbon, I, if I'm flipping mono or fluorocarbon and I'm flipping wood, I prefer the wide gap style hooks, generally in a forearm. And the reason being is, is that the hook preference, the reason being that hook preference is mine, is because of what Kurt was talking about a minute ago. The straight shank hook really likes to let the tip come out, and it really gets hung up in the wood and gets stuck. And so it's more for efficiency um, than anything. I do not lose that many fish from bite to hook set to landing them in the boat. My ratio is very high. And so I've never really needed to change to go to that straight shank. It all changes when braid becomes into the picture. And I used to think it was, well, it was in grass, but it's really not true because at Rayburn is a great example where I am now. The water is tends to be higher in the bushes, so they're not a foot deep or two foot deep. They tend to be five, six foot deep. Anytime I'm in the grass or somewhere like Rayburn where I'm flipping deeper, um, I'm using braid. Uh, I've got big fish down south, Texas, Florida. I do use a straight shank at that point, and, and I'm using the snail knot. And a lot of times it involves a bigger weight than what I'm flipping whenever I'm flipping bushes. So there's a lot involved in all that, but those are the two primary hooks that I'm using. Straight shank when I'm flipping braid and the wide gap when I'm flipping fluorocarbon. Yeah, really, Kurt, I have uh, nothing to argue with a two-time FLW champ considering from my <laughs> seat. Um, so, you know, the only thing I, I would totally agree with is on the straight shank. Anytime that I'm using braid, uh, I pretty much will 99.9% .9 of the time have 
that uh, straight shank on the end of it just because that means I'm going to be in heavy cover and I want that hook point to be exposed when and now I'm talking about plastics now right nothing that's on the on the lead head uh, perspective but I right. want to make sure that hook point is going to get out of that bait as quickly as possible because that's just the first part of the battle and trying to get that fish out of the grass or out of the cover uh, is the next piece. So I want to make sure I've got as much of that hook driven through as quickly as possible uh, because my reflexes obviously are not as good as you and uh, and Brad's. I'm sure your reflexes are just fine. <laughs> Man, this is a great discussion. I know this is a, a long interview, but let's continue. We got two more topics I think we need to hit on. Let's quickly go through treble hooks. What are you looking for in the right setup here? Maybe some adjustments uh, you'd like to make. Um, treble hooks. Man, out of the package, I, I got to tell you, you know, if you're using a lot of stock package hooks, they just aren't that good in a general sense, right? If you want the best setup, you really need to, to once you start getting some bites and you know specifically maybe tournament fishing or whatever, you need to change out these treble hooks. What do you guys think? Well, I would totally agree. I'm going to jump in on this one first because, you know, I, I'm very particular. I, living in the Ozarks and throwing a lot of custom painted uh, wiggle wart style baits, I mean, that's the first thing that I do. Um, is change those out. Of course, Hayabusa has some tremendous hooks there. Uh, owner is another one, but I'm really adamant about that as well, Kurt. You know, square bills the same way. I throw a lot of square bills. That's the first adjustment that I make is to basically take off the, the hooks in which they come out with and uh, go to kind of the tried and true, which is the Hayabusa. Styles, Brad, you like the, the regular round bend troubles, you, you know, Mustad had some hooks that were really popular for a long time. They were kind of turned in a little bit. Um, what's your thought process on on when you want to use a round bend? If you want to use a treble that's turned in a little bit, what, what, what's your take on that? I have been on the round bend for a long, long time. Um, I tried a lot of the other hooks on the market with the different bends, and I honestly, guys, I just don't see an advantage at any point. Um, I like round bend hooks um the new thing that's come out is some of the new coatings that we have yes um, you know how Abusa has coating everybody has a new coating and and they do make it slicker and 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 i am a big fan of those treble hooks once again to me it's all about flex i want a treble that has no flex and uh, and i am a big fan of the new coatings would that hold true brad you had brought up about the round bend like on the on the stick baits and the jerk baits you know sticking with the traditional round bend there as well i have there, there used to be jokes about some of the hooks that were out there on the market and some of the guys, some of the best fishermen in the world were using them and, and just stood behind them. And I just, I couldn't make them work for me. I could not. <laughs> um, and I'm still in that. I'm still in that. And, and I, I, I throw round bends. I throw them on jerk baits. I throw them on everything. That is my hook. And that's the one I use. It's I, I'm a stickler to the round bend. I got to say real quick, you guys started talking about some of the coatings, man. Um, a lot of people know that I, work with Hayabusa um, but let me just say Hayabusa's got coating on not just troubles but round bends wide gaps a lot of their hooks have that coating and and we have seen the advantages um, through what that coating provides a lot of other companies aren't providing that coating on on their standard you know round bends O'Shaughnessy's uh, these style of hooks that that we use so frequently wide gaps and uh, and I got to urge folks to, to try that coating not you know and, and the, gamagatsu started using it on some of their treble hooks the little 
G Finesse, you know, they started using the, the, the coding as well. Um, you got the owner jungle hook. They, they've got the, you know, some the coding on, but it's a specific hook here and there with other brands. But man, I do got to say that the coding and specifically throughout a lot of the gamut of Hayabusa's products really makes a huge difference. That stuff is, uh, it may be. Well, it's about friction. Just, I mean, it's going to reduce yeah. the friction and ultimately uh, there again, it's going to make sure that the, you, you get total penetration, um, the sooner, the better. I mean, like you guys said, when you guys are fishing for a living you've got to have those bites and you got to be able to capitalize to get that fish in the boat and uh talk about the fun and the and take pictures later but for the for that perspective the coating makes a world of difference and you know brett i want to kind of quickly i i know you are a big advocate of the round ball jig uh that is so popular in a lot of the rocky environments that we have here in the middle of the country let's let's talk one last hook variable that is with any jig or jig head setup anglers should take into consideration. These are great things that I learned the hard way. <laughs> I wish I had this show to listen to many years ago. I fell in love with the ball head jig many, many years ago from, from the guys up there in your, your part of the country, Aaron. It's a great bait. That bait was designed originally to be fished in the Ozark region, um, and it was designed for the Ozark region, which was clear water, rock impoundments, and to be able to be fished deep and even on light line. The first time that I actually, I actually got to fish with Jim Akins once um, was in the back of his boat and he was fishing a five sixteenths ounce jig in 25 foot of water. Um, to do that, he had to do it with a 10 pound test line. And for all that to come into play, it cannot have this big giant hook on it. So the light wire or the lighter wire, I would really call them a medium wire, was the preferred style in that ball head jig. And that's the one that I used for many, many years and still use um, in those applications where we're using it deeper mid-depths with 15-pound down to 10-pound test line. Um, the lessons that I had to learn the hard way is as you bring that jig out of that region and further south, the fish get bigger. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you cannot flip that jig into uh, underneath a dock in uh, Texas and hook an 8-pounder and expect it to stay hooked up. It's just not enough hook to hold that fish. They they, they flex, and uh, they get away. And I learned that the hard way because it was a jig that I'd caught a lot of fish on and put a lot of fish in the boat through my life. And as I moved further south and the fish got bigger, it required me to go back and, and do some more stuff with the jig and, and find one with a, with a heavier hook. You are spot on. I, I know for me personally, it goes back and, and knowing kind of Jewel Bait Company and, and uh, Jim and Troy and, and Gail Julian that uh, kind of perfected that jig. The thing that I, I do like about the standard uh, setup, the way that that comes out with the lighter wire hookup per se, is going to be, you know, Table Rock, Bull Shoals, all of the White River impoundments, even like the Ozarks. Um, you are fishing that deeper, clearer water, or even in uh, around the smallmouth, it seems that lighter wire, uh, you're able to get that hook driven through the mouth a little bit quicker. But certainly, um, I don't have as many eight-pounders running around as what you do, or at least I'm not fishing in the right areas for them, Brett. They got eight-pounders <laughs> up there, Aaron. Come on now. Oh, for sure. For sure. That's that's why that's why I made sure and uh, put the caveat out there. Obviously, I'm not fishing in the right places for them. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, hey. Look, this, you know, we could we could take this topic on and on and on. Uh, you know, our goal for today is open the minds of the listeners, kind of give them some tidbits on what our thought process is, but really look at all of these variables. Brad said it well at the very beginning. You're looking at rod, line size, uh, length of cast. You know, we've learned through this interview is plays a big role in what kind of hook that we have. 
wire gauge is going to going to lead you to the right hookup ratio in a lot of circumstances. So uh, pay attention to what we're doing with our hooks, man. It's going to it's going to help us put a lot more fish in the boat. And man, this has just been an awesome interview. I appreciate appreciate you, Brad, you know, just kind of giving us your insight and being a piece of this roundtable. So before we close out, we always have to do our listener question segment. Brad, I've been uh, watching your social. Um, it's been a lot of fun to see some of the YouTube videos that you've been having come out. I saw recently you did one on knots, and Kevin Williams, at about the same time, sent us an, a question about knots. Kevin's from Illinois, and uh, this Nitro Performance Bass Boat listener question is, what knots do you use to tie on baits? Do you use different knots for different types of line or baits or one knot for everything? Definitely not one knot for everything. There's a lot of variables in this also. I'm primarily using two or three different knots that I use all the time, but definitely it has to do with what line I'm tying to what hook, uh, what style of bait. So there's definitely variable knots. Um, like you said, I, I just did a YouTube session on knots. If you guys want to go to my channel, look it up. Uh, it's Bradley Hallman Fishing, and, and I've got – couple of videos on there right now that cover three or four different hooks that i tie on a daily basis just quickly for for kevin the couple knots that you like to tie specifically for techniques what would those be brad um i use the snail for the braid on the straight shank flipping and um i use a san diego jam uh, that's probably san diego jam is probably the knot that i use i would say 70 percent of the time that i'm tying um i still use a, a polymer some when i'm using uh monofilament with top water but i've also gone to that loop knot kurt's kind of got me on that i got to playing with it in the last 12 months he was a big fan of it i'm still playing with it i do like the action of the bait with the loop knot so i've worked on a couple of different loop knots so the, the, like i say there's there's a lot out there to play with with knots and strengths but uh san diego the double san diego jam is definitely my mayonnaise and mustard come a long ways from the days of the polymer huh brad long ways <laughs> well, Brad, uh, thanks for answering that question, Kevin. We certainly appreciate you sending in the question to be answered by Brad here on the show. We need one more thing from you, and that is to go to the website, click on the Claim Your Prize tab on BassEdge.com, fill out the information, let us know that you heard Brad answer your question here on Episode 323, and we will get out the Bass Edge gift shipped directly to you mentioned this in another segment of the show man great feedback coming in from the listeners keep it coming let us know what you think of the show keep the questions coming several that Aaron, we're gonna have to have another one of those question shows you know we're getting so many so many questions in so keep firing those in we'll, we'll keep answering as many as we can and, and we'll do a little bit more as time provides us in, in future episodes but uh, send those in to support at bassedge.com or leave us a remark on our facebook instagram or twitter media pages been an awesome day well brad as always a uh, fantastic discussion we certainly appreciate you carving out time to participate in the round table discussion on hooks not an easy topic my friend but any closing uh, thoughts or comments no i just really appreciate you guys having me on and i encourage all anglers at all levels to, to try different variations of hooks like we said what we're saying works for us may not work for you different anglers prefer different rod actions with different baits you know and it, it could be the same bait but we're different anglers we're different sizes we're different strengths there's there's lots of variations with this so let the fish tell you if you lose a couple of fish out of four or five hook sets then maybe look at changing your hook style yeah and try not to wait 
four or five deep, maybe maybe make a quicker change. <laughs> but that'll, that'll, make, that'll make for a tough story when you come back to the dock. But hey, man, I, I, I totally get it. It's, uh, it's a trial and error process. And once you feel uh, good about what you're doing and you're seeing success, that's going to be the answer. Brad, thanks so much for hanging with us today. We look forward to continuing following you on your social, your Instagram, YouTube pages. Great job with that stuff, man. And, and obviously, continued success on this year's tournament season everyone stay right here aaron and i will be back right after this message you know the importance of protecting your investments so why use anything else other than the original and toughest diy keel protector for your boat megaware keel guard grinding sand abrasive rocks and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology megaware keel guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong currents or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Kurt, I'm not sure we could have picked a more difficult topic to speak on <laughs> via audio without being able to show pictures. But uh, as always, Bradley uh, knocked it out of the park. Yeah, man. I think that Bass Edge Nation is going to get a good visual of what we're talking about. And the interesting thing, you know, just a gigantic freaking topic, you know. Um, we didn't even get into hooks with accessories, you know, whether it's a spring-loaded hook or weighted hooks and, and, and lots of other things. I think the important aspect here is get with a company or a brand that provides you a lot of different avenues to engineering, not all companies are going to make the best hook for every scenario. You know, look at everything that's available out there. Use the best product that's available for specific technique. That's what's going to give you the most success. But yeah, the topic could go on for days and days with, you know, multiple subtopics on the, on the issue, Aaron. So hopefully, you know, again, we, we talked about this as the inside the interview with Brad, the basis for Bass Edge Radio education. We gave some education today on some things that work for you, Brad, and myself. Now, Bass Edge, you know, listeners can take those elements of our success, see how it works into their success, and then make some adjustments of things that they like, you know. So it's the thought process. Don't just tie on any old hook with any old bait. Think about what you're using, how you're using it, why you're using it. That's what's going to give you the most success. Yeah, good point. And no doubt we 
understand that the risk uh, that we took might have created more questions, but that's good because that's <laughs> part of the learning process. And uh, hopefully that will enable Bassett's listeners to key in on a few components, a few key concepts, you know, from that roundtable discussion. It was fun. And uh, as always, he does a great job, like I said before. But in the meantime, to stay up on all things Bass Edge, I want to encourage all Bass Edge listeners to tune in to all of the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and then certainly keep sending in those questions and comments. If you have the opportunity, run out to iTunes or Google Play, give us a rating. We certainly appreciate that. For Kurt Dove, we are going to shut it down. I am Aaron Martin, and we look forward to seeing you in two weeks, having another discussion and bolting on some additional accessories to this chassis of bass fishing that we all love so much. So, so long, everybody. The Edge is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, Lawrence Electronics, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com. 